What's up, Instagram? What's up, YouTube? Uh, here for this week's Q&A. Let's take a minute to let some people get into this stream before we start answering questions. There was a couple of questions that we got from Instagram over the last couple of days. I usually ask them in advance for questions. Or Barrett, what's up, man? Um, hope you're well. Miss you, man. Got to get got to play one of these days. Um, so we're going to have a few questions. Hey, Max, Max Sachs, 4023, thanks for being here. Uh, we're going to go through a few of the questions that we had from this week. Feel free to drop them in here on Instagram or in the comments on YouTube later. Uh, today is Friday, January 31st, and uh, while people are still getting in here, hey, Theron, uh, hey, Luke, thanks for being here. Um, really exciting. New record coming out very soon. Uh, February 28th, this week, we had a single coming out from Cast of Characters, the new record. Uh, we dropped, let's see, this one, this one here, a Duke uh, for, you know, Duke Ellington um, this week. And that came out on Tuesday, video on Wednesday. And uh, that album is at the end of the month of February. So February 28th, that comes out. And uh, we'll be going on a tour, hitting Austin 28th, Denton 29th, Fort Worth March 1st, then heading to the West Coast, doing the Nash on the 8th, March 6th, 7th, Saturday the 7th, and then LA on the 8th, and then there's more tour days from there. So you can go and check those out. Um, but feel free to drop in any questions. Uh, we'll do a quick Q&A here today. Uh, we'll go through some questions. Sometimes people just write, hey, look at my profile, which is not a question. Uh, so I'm going to ignore those. <laughs> um, Somebody asked how much are lessons. Robbie Trombone asked how much are lessons. I have those in my online store. Just go to nickfinzermusic.com and you can go and see how much uh, lessons are, Skype lessons or in-person lessons. And also I do a virtual studio, if you didn't know, where I post videos every week and then uh, do a, an, a forum where uh, everyone can post their videos of themselves playing. And I go through and make comments uh, and try to be as helpful as possible. But uh, let's see, this week I recorded some new lessons going through how to play Arigen. Um, and then the week in the last about five or six weeks, I recorded some videos about like specific bebop chromatic concepts uh, about how to do that on trombone and how to do that in bebop type tunes. So those are there in the virtual studio if you're interested <clears throat> in something like that. Uh, moving on through some more questions here. Uh, Chris Bauer asked, Chris Bauer is a, one of the saxophonists here at UNT. He says, what's some common tunes in New York? I think it depends on the scene that you're in. Uh, certain people play certain types of tunes, like some some people play a lot of Wayne Shorter tunes and some people play a lot of bebop tunes. Um, some people and all the regular ones, but then uh, a lot of people like to call like obscure tunes just to kind of either prove that they know tunes that are obscure, or they call um, yeah like specific things that they were working on with their friends, you know. So there's a, like a lot of variation I think between all of those different things, all those different scenes, all those different people kind of doing different stuff. Um, so it really depends on what scene you're in in New York, what tunes might be, get called. But, you know, Benny Golson tunes, I like to call those just, you know, regular standards and some more of like the less popular standards. Um, 
I don't know. They play a lot of hard bop tunes in New York. Um, there's also, it's like regional to everywhere. When I was in Rochester, people like to play the old mile, milestones. Uh, this is a very Eastman tune. Um, or at least it was at that time. But I'm not sure. So just learn as many tunes as you can and know that there's going to be people in New York that know all those tunes anyway. So uh, somebody, there's a bass player named Clovis Nicholas, and he, uh, I think he knows just about every tune. I've never called a tune on him that he did not know. Um, so really it just depends on the people you hang out with what tunes are being called, to be totally honest. Uh, oh, Luke, if you're still here, I got your question. Um, Luke asked, what's the inspiration behind the new album? So this is the new album. I know I showed it to you already, but it's cast of characters. And the reason for the record, the inspiration behind the record. Oh, good. Chris saw the answer. Good. Sorry. Uh, Chris, if you come by and see me, I'll try to suggest some more tunes. But off the top of my head, I, I can't really remember exactly what the last five tunes were that I heard called. But um, so cast of characters is a record um, about not any particular people, but the people you meet along your journey, kind of the people you meet along the way, basically. Uh, all different characters that are going to enter your life and enter your exit your life at different times. And um, so this was a kind of reflection on those things. And I really wanted to write an album that was more through composed than um, the previous album. The previous album was a lot of tunes that was called No Arrival. And it was just a lot of some originals and some tunes, but um, I wanted to write something that was more related. So there's actually the, the first thing you hear on the record when it comes out, the very opening track, you're going to hear there's a solo piano way that it opens. And that figure is actually the genesis for the whole album. So um, when that comes out, you can go and check that out, but it's not out yet. The tune, the opening tune is called A Sorcerer is a Myth, and um, it's about how when we first start playing, you know, first start any endeavor really, it could be sports or music or anything where you really look up and put some people on a pedestal about like, they're the greatest ever, you know, so that could be, you know, who, it doesn't matter who it is, it's just there's this person and as you learn more and more about the craft, you get better at it, you start to realize that the learning process is never ending. You learn that like it's actually like they're just way further down the road than you, but that it's still an accessible journey for you to go on. And um, so that's kind of the starting point of it. So if you want to get super nerdy, you can transcribe. You can see the opening. Uh, there's like a triad pair there if you want to get super nerdy, uh, music nerdy about that. And that kind of literally is the genesis for every composition on the album i use that as the opening oops my email's going off here uh use that as the opening and then i took that and used like a bunch of techniques that i learned from dave ravello a composer at eastman who got them from bob brookmeyer uh to kind of break that down split it up make it backwards upside down left right and come up with a whole bunch of different ideas to generate um tunes and to generate uh, melodies and harmony and all that stuff so cast of characters is that that those people in your life you know they come through and you know leave an impact on you and uh, i think you know we're we, the last out track on the album is called uh we're more than the sum of our influences and i think uh that kind of sums up what what it's about but i'm happy to answer more questions about that in the future as we get closer uh i see a question here from dandrick glenn 
He writes, when writing tunes, do you have a harmonic progression in mind before creating the melody? Uh, I used to write that way. I stopped writing that way because I kept feeling like I would get a cool harmony and then never would write anything melodic that was interesting. So uh, I went back to um, composing melodies first and then trying to fit harmony into the melody that I wrote. Because the melody, a single note can be harmonized in a lot of different ways. But sometimes harmony trying to write a melody over a predetermined complex harmonic structure can be difficult and oftentimes uh, underwhelming. So I try to go the other way. And like I said, for this particular project, the, the two triads that I used ended up being the genesis for all of it. So um, that's that. Uh, so continuing on here, uh, that got the inspiration for the record, um, Zach Baykak, former student from Florida State asks, what have you enjoyed about the new cast of characters project? Love the tracks out. Oh, well, thanks for listening to those. Appreciate it. There's three videos that have come out. Uh, the, a Duke, Brutus, and, the, Source, and uh, the Guru. Those three came out this month. Um, and I'm glad you like them. And I've really enjoyed writing something that was longer and more big picture in nature. I hadn't really, I've written some pieces kind of like that, but never with the kind of the genesis of it being so specific to being like one thing. Like I was just like, this is, this is it. And this is the idea. And these are the people. And I had written out, you know, the influences beforehand. And I really tried to write something that was specific to a time and a place and people uh, in a way that I hadn't done before. So um, that was interesting to me, and I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm really proud of how this record turned out. I'm really excited about just like the artwork is totally different than something I've done before. Um, basically, just tried to get back to um, a project that I was really proud of. Not that I wasn't proud of other projects, but um, I went kind of quickly through a bunch of things. Um, doing these, if you notice, if you go to the YouTube channel, there's like, um, I speak like the child speak like a child project where I rearranged all the music of Herbie Hancock speak like a child we did some of Chick Corea's now I sing now I sob uh, I rearranged some of that music I did a whole project that didn't get recorded yet of um, a bunch of Duke Ellington music that was arranged for my band um, that I put uh, I was going to do for YouTube as well I haven't done that so anyway to get back to cast characters it was um, great to just really zone in on that and focus on developing that one uh, idea. So that's what I've enjoyed about the new cast of characters project. But, uh, oh, what's up, JB? What's up, Alan? Thanks for joining. Uh, we're just answering some questions here, our weekly Q&A session. Um, I got one here from Thomas Steele. How do you kickstart a career as a professional musician after graduating from university? Well, the best advice that I can give you is uh, that there should be more of a blurry line between um, when college ends and the, your professional career starts. You should be getting out into the world, getting out at jam sessions, starting to watch shows or start to think about what you're going to be doing after school while you're in school. Because if you wait until you're out, it's too late. Um, so in terms of kickstarting, I don't know if you can really kickstart a career. It's one of those things where you have to like start, start the walk up the hill and start pushing the rock up the hill when you're in school, because if you wait till you're out, it's going to take way too long. Um, it takes at least a year to kind of even get into a scene or, and, you know, especially in New York, people said it was going to take seven or eight years and they were right. Um, so 
there is no kickstarting really, I don't think, and you have to start while you're in school. So if you're not, if you're in school now, uh, and you haven't started yet trying to get out into the world and start playing with people, you better start because uh, you'll be done before you know it, especially if you're in a master's degree program, uh, which is only uh, two, two years. So feel free to drop any questions, guys, if you're here uh, live. We have a couple more questions for this week before we sign off, but I'm glad you can be here. Thanks for, for hanging out. Um, next question here is from Spencer Bannister. Do you, do you do much horn duo playing? How do you approach this kind of playing? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I was just playing recently with the trumpet professor here at UNT, Phil Dizak. We were playing some duo trumpet and trombone. Um, how do I approach this kind of playing? I like to approach any situation as that situation, not trying to recreate another situation. So what do I mean? I mean that when I'm playing duo, uh, I play a lot of piano duo, and in that situation, as well as this one, like horn duo situation, I'm definitely not trying to recreate um, a new, I'm not trying to recreate like a walking bass line and a horn player playing, uh, trying to simulate something else. I'm just trying to play the tune. Maybe we're playing guide tones, maybe we're playing eighth notes at the same time. And just think of all the different textures that you can create specifically to those two instruments that are different than what you could create otherwise. Because what's the point? There's no point in trying to like make it sound like a quartet when it's not. It's just duo. So um, I try to write, I've been writing a series of um, duets specifically for two trombones, but that are in that very vein of like, okay, how do we create something that's unique to having two horns um, rather than like having it try to be something that it's not. So thinking about the situation and creating that, and then those duets also are supposed to incorporate improvisation and written material. So uh, I'm hoping to get those out by the end of 2020. So working on that, if you're interested in duets that feature improvisation. But um, when playing duo, it's definitely playing with the other person, playing over the tunes, not trying to do anything specific, being open to taking their suggestions, uh, playing back and forth, um, switching roles of like leading versus following, but never trying to like recreate a bass line or comping in like the sense that it would be if you had a guitar or piano or bass. So that's my suggestion. Uh, just be open to creating something in the new situation and uh, that's what I would do. So uh, thanks, Spencer, for the question. Hope that answers that. If you're hanging out now live on Instagram, feel free to drop in a question. Uh, we collected a few this week. Um, a lot of people are trying to uh, get shout-outs in, in the messages rather than asking a question. That's okay, though. I appreciate all of, all of the uh, all the messages. So... Um, I think that's it for today. There's uh, no more questions here. If anyone wants to drop one in here, we can get to that. Otherwise, um, we've been talking a bunch about this new record, Cast of Characters. So that's coming out on February the 28th. And uh, we'll be on tour all East Coast, West Coast, all throughout March uh, to su support the release. All those tour dates are up uh, and announced on social media and on bands in town and everywhere that you'd like to uh, see them. So thanks for being here today, guys. Have a great weekend. It's an audition weekend here at UNT. Tomorrow is uh, an audition day, so best of luck to everyone uh, that's auditioning, and um, we'll see you again pretty soon. Oh, Austin. Hey, Alex. 
Oh, wow. Now, after I'm about to leave, everybody wants to ask a question. That's cool. Dogtown or Wimpy's for plates? Okay. All right. That's uh, neither. That's my answer. Neither Dogtown or Wimpy's for plates. Plates is a Rochester, New York thing. If you know, then you know. Uh, Joel Reyes Jr., he asked, uh, how do you maintain motivation for practice? Um, it's just got to be part of your routine. Um, there is no motivation to practice. You just practice. Uh, just like if you work out or work on a cra uh, like a sport or something like that, you go to practice every day. Uh, you just have to make your practice routine part of your daily routine, your practice habits. Um, it's, it's not a question of if you're going to do it. It's when you do it, and you just do it every day, and it's just a normal thing. That's the only way. That's the only way to keep motivation, I think, is to make it not an option. Uh, writers talk about doing that too. You know, when they're writing books or writing, uh, working on something, uh, that is just part of the daily practice. And that's what you have to do. Austin Ford, I'm hesitant about posting stuff on social media, but have some content. But have some content. Should I post? Yes, Austin, you should post it. The reason why you're probably hesitant is because you're like, I don't know how my friends are going to feel about this. I don't know how my professors are going to feel about this. I don't know if I should post this. And it's just you're think you're worried about what other people are going to say about it. Um, but the fact is that you're trying to build your own career. And as long as you're sharing stuff that you're working on and being authentic about it and just like, this is me, here I am, warts and all, uh, just being authentic, it's going to be totally fine. And you're not posturing um, to be something that you're not. Um, I, I, I don't see any reason why you shouldn't be posting. And there's plenty of good examples of that. And there's plenty of examples of other people uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum who just pretend to be uh, a guru of whatever they're doing. And, you know, I try to just offer my opinions and try to just offer my music and educational ideas out there to YouTube and to Instagram and everything like that and just kind of let it be what it is. And, you know, the, the most important phrase that I've heard uh, said that I try to remind myself of in this vein is to say, you know, who is it for? Think about what the, who the content is for. And then if it's not for someone and they have something negative to say about it, it's like, well, it's not for you, you know. Uh, if I post some educational trombone video and a friend of mine gives me a hard time, I'm like, well, you know what? It's not for you. It's for somebody who's trying to learn how to play jazz trombone and lives somewhere where they don't have access. They don't live in, a, in the United States where there's a bajillion jazz musicians. They live somewhere more remote and can't get the information. So there's the information that's for them. It's not for you. So try to keep in mind that, you know, the world is much wider than your friend circle. And if they give you a hard time, it's because they probably are equally insecure about posting their own stuff on, on social. So I know there's a long diatribe about that, but go for it, Austin. I think you should post. What's up, Alex? Looking forward to seeing you again soon, right? A couple weeks. Um, from Nick Crane, one, two, four. What kind of exercises do you do for doodle tonguing and or fast single tonguing? I don't doodle tongue, so I don't practice that. And I double tongue. Um, well, number one, I try to abide by this. I heard Marshall Jilk say it in a master class once, and I stole it. Um, just you should try to articulate the same way you would say the rhythm. 
So what I mean is, however you would say it, if I was looking at a rhythm on a piece of paper, then I should play it the same way. And it's really been helpful for me because I can practice just saying a rhythm. And from just saying the rhythm, you, you can um, then articulate it a lot easier. So it's a kind of a mixture of doodle and double and single tonguing. Um, for fast double tonguing, you've got to practice the weaker syllable, which is the either the G or the K syllable. Um, and so I'll just sit there with a metronome on and go 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 for like a whole minute, something for a long time to try to build up the strength of that vowel sound, that articulation, the G or the K, because the ta 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 is fine. It's always matching up the T and the K or the D and the G to actually make them even to make it faster. So doing it for a longer period of time, strengthening it up. And then being able to, and then practicing it faster than you want to be able to do it at. So if you, I always uh, abide by the rule that I got to be able to do it maybe ten percent faster or higher than, you know, I need to in a live situation, so that it's super comfortable when I go to do it. So I'm not struggling, I'm not thinking too hard about it. It's got to be part of the um, muscle memory. So that's what I try to do uh, for fast tonguing, uh, fast single tonguing. Same thing. Just you have to practice it faster than you're aiming to do it. And just do it every day. Put it into your practice routine um, one click faster each day, and it'll, you'll eventually get it uh, to where you want to get it. Um, so, yeah, that's what I would do. Just scrolling through one last time, see if there's any other questions uh, that I missed so far. Uh, Joel, you're very welcome, and thanks for being here. And uh, okay, that's going to wrap it up. I got to run. So thanks for being here, and we'll uh, come be back next week sometime with another uh, live stream. So it'll be up on YouTube if you want to go back to see any of this stuff later. But uh, thanks for being here. If you're on YouTube, subscribe, comment below. Um, we'd love to see you back on the channel. So uh, we'll see you around. <laughs>